Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. The other day, I was driving to church, uh, and in my car, for about a month now, I, or a month will be over, I have Sirius XM, and so I was listening to, I think it was 80s on 8, right? It was one of those things, and I was listening to the radio, and a song came on, and um, it was just very interesting. It was an old 80s song that came on, and it was uh, from a band called Great White. Some of you might not know it. Some of you like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But the name of the song just really intrigued me, okay? I've always liked the song, but I just never really connected the two. And the song title was Once Bitten, Twice Shy. Once Bitten, Twice Shy. And... Uh, it was just so intriguing. What does that mean? What does that exactly mean? Once bitten, twice shy. So when I pulled up to the parking lot, I went in my office, I got everything situated that was still running through my brain. I thought, I'm going to type this. What does it mean? Once bitten, twice shy. Because you hear, you know, well, once bitten, twice shy. And, and here's what I found, guys. Here's what I found. Got on the internet, looked up the definition, and here's what it says. It says, you say once bitten, twice shy to mean that a bad experience makes you not want to become involved in this similar situation. In the future, a bad experience makes you weary of the same things happening again. Okay, so you have a bad ex. Oh, this is a bad experience. You go once bitten. I don't want to do that again. We can all relate, right? We can all relate. We've all had. We've all had that. No matter what, we're like, okay, once bitten, twice shy. We don't want to do this. Now you might be thinking, well, Ben, 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 Ben. What is this statement? What does this song title have to do with John chapter nineteen? I mean, seriously. Well, I believe it illustrates in a way. Um, what Pilate was feeling, guys, as we finish up the sixth and final civil trial. This is what Pilate is going through. Now, again, the Word of God is so amazing. It gives us a beautiful description, in a sense, right, of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But, but remember, Pilate is very instrumental. He's very instrumental. And I was thinking, this is, this is what he's probably feeling. You go, well, how so? Well, labor with me for just a moment. Look at verse 7 and 8 in verse 12. I'm going to show you something real quick, and then we'll come back. Look at uh, John 19, 7. It says, then the Jews answered him and said, quote, we have a law, and according to our law, he, speaking of Jesus, ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, notice here, here here's, here's where Pilate enters the, the scene. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid, okay? So right here, I put myself in Pilate's sandals, and I'm thinking, he heard that saying, he's like, oh, man, this isn't good, okay? And then look over at verse 12. It says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, quote, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So you can understand. Could we all agree? This is an unpleasant situation. This is an unpleasant situation for everybody involved. Okay. But here's what we need to understand. Pontius Pilate. Okay is not a happy camper. All he wanted was for Passover to come and go and the Jews to remain calm. He just didn't want anything to happen. Passover's going to come. The city is going to swell. They're going to do their religious thing. Could we just keep the peace? That's all he's interested, okay? Why? If you're taking note, remember, Pilate is on thin ice with Rome. It's like your boss breathing down your neck, always looking for a mistake, getting ready to fire you. Like you can't do anything right. You can't, you're walking to the copy machine and you see your boss peeking over. It's like waiting for you, just waiting for you to make that wrong mistake. This is, 
This is Pilate, okay? He, he didn't want to cause another uproar. He was, he didn't want Rome. He didn't, he, he definitely didn't want somebody to, to, to get any, any type of derogatory back to Caesar. Hey, do you know what's going on in his, do you know what's going on in Jerusalem? That's why he is so, he's so freaked out because he's about to get fired. Now remember what we learned last week, guys. We talked about this. Pilate, what, he didn't want to declare Jesus guilty. Several times in the trial, he says, it's not guilty. He's not guilty. He's not guilty. And, and he tried several avenues to get, to get out of that verdict. You go, what do he do? If you're taking note or you just kind of remember from last week, the first thing he tried to do is chastise my Jesus and then release him. He says, listen, if I could just beat him, if I could beat him to a place where they'll look at him, go and feel sorry, then I'll release him. Well, guess what? The crowd was like, no, that's not good enough. We want him dead. Well, he said, okay, well, the second thing he tried to do is he tried to release Jesus through a custom they had. If you recall, it was a custom to release a prisoner over the Passover. And of course, guess who we learned they, they released last week? Someone named Barabbas, Barabbas, right? And he was, he was a murderer. He was a thief. I mean, that's what they did. No, we, we want Jesus crucified. What did he do? He, and, and the Bible's going to tell us, he's going to tell us what he did or what his crime was. As we come to the sixth trial, as it gets under the way, remember, we discover that even, and here's where you got to grasp this, guys, even before he was sent over to Herod, okay, Jesus was pronounced not guilty. Now, in the Jewish trial, the Jewish religious trial, they couldn't find anything with them. So they said, well, we need to take this to Rome because Rome, guys, Rome had the power to crucify Jesus. Now, they wanted him dead, but they're like, in our custom, we can't do this. Rome, guys, says not guilty. He's not guilty. And the way they go through this is something called the Roman Code of Criminal Procedure. The Roman Code of Criminal Procedure. Pilate, his main objective, right, is to go through each of the four steps to see if there was an insurrection or a rising up against Rome. There were four steps that they must follow to make this an accurate court of law. Let's go over them real quick. Won't take much time, but the first thing is there had to be an accusation. There had to be an accusation. That's what the first step is. Okay, what do they accuse you of? What's your crime? Number two, there had to be an interrogation. If there's an accusation, then we had to go back and we had to, we have to investigate. There has to be an interrogation. That's the second one. The third, guys, was a defense. Notice Jesus didn't have a defense attorney. But so, so Pilate seeks to go, okay, what's your defense? Who are you? What do you say? What do you say about yourself? And then fourth, we see that there was a verdict, a verdict. That was, help me church, help me either guilty or not guilty. That would be the verdict, right? The gavel comes down, dun, 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 guilty or not guilty. Pilate, guys, follows the four steps, and then in verse 38, he declares, what is truth? And when he has said this, he went out to the Jews, and he said to them, I find no fault in him. Now, we know this should have ended it all. This should have been done. Okay? People should have gone home. People should have went on with the Passover. People should have, I mean, this is, but, but, cause he's declared not guilty. All four steps, guys, were conducted and the verdict not guilty against any crime against Rome. 
But we have a problem. Why? Because the chief priests and the scribes and the crowd are, are still more fiercely saying, he stirs up the people teaching throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. So Pilate comes out and says, not guilty. I find no fault in him. And they're like, but yeah, but he's tortured. And they're getting even crazier and crazier. And I want you to, I want you to feel the weight of that. Okay, as the crowd began to, I mean, just they began to bubble and boil as as they began to. I mean, some of them were probably yelling, "Crucify him!" They didn't even know what was going on, but they were incited by the rest of the crowd. And of course, right? Pilate hears something. He said, "Wait a minute! Did you say he was a Galilean?" Oh, wow! All right. So remember what he does. He sends them over to Herod. That was the fifth trial. Only Herod, Herod wasn't interested in Jesus. All he wanted to do was mock him. All he did is wanted to say, hey, look, man, show me some trick. Do something amazing. I want to see a miracle. I've heard all about you. You know, I've heard you turn water into wine. I've heard you, you know, open the eyes of the blind. I've seen you. I've heard all these things. Could you do something? And Jesus wasn't, Jesus is not interested in that. Jesus' mission was to go to the cross. He knew that. Pilate gets frustrated and sends him I mean, Herod gets frustrated and sends him back to Pilate. And that was the sixth. That was the beginning of the sixth trial, guys, that will end with Jesus standing in front of his people, beaten to an inch of his life, but still willing to go to the cross. That's where it's going to end. So what we want to do is go back for just a moment. Look at verse 1 so we can follow the flow. John chapter 19, verse 1 says, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now, here's what we can appreciate about John. John doesn't give us a whole lot of detail. Okay, we had to do some research. We talked about that. All John says is they took Jesus and they scourged him. Luke paints it in a little bit different way. You can turn there, just listen. Luke 23, verse 13 says, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I find no fault in this man concerning those things which you have accused him. There he is, guys, not guilty. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Verse 16, I will therefore chastise him and release him. Now, why is that important? Okay, because John just says, and they took Jesus and they scourged him. But Luke says, Pilate said, I'm going to chastise him. And then I'm going to, you got to help me, church, let him go. That's what he's saying. He's going to, so, so Pilate, guys, knows how unpleasant this trial is becoming. So he tells the crowd, okay, calm down, everybody. Ah, you can hear the mob. You can hear the roar. And he says, calm down. I'm going to scourge him. I'm going to chastise him. And then I'm going to let him go. This is the once bitten right here. He knows this is going to be unpleasant. He knows this doesn't feel good. He knows he's got to keep everything, right? He's got to diffuse the situation or else this is going to end bad for him. Okay, this is going to... So he's like, oh man, this is unpleasant. This is unpleasant. Now, I just want to remind you this because I felt like it was so, so important. Last week, we talked about what Isaiah declared. 
Okay, so right now they've taken my Jesus, right, and, and they're about to scourge him. But this is what Isaiah writes 700 years before this happens. But here's the application that I want you to grasp. It's so important. Guys, this is something that you can take to the bank. Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, he says, Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Okay? In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, what he's talking about right here is physical healing. Physical healing. Okay? We're, we're praying for Miss Beverly and we're praying for Marie's mom. We can pray this prayer because the word of God declares to us that Jesus bore our griefs. The word griefs is stricken. It's, it, it's, it's sickness. Jesus carried your sickness so we can pray that. That is the prayer of physical healing, okay? He has borne our sicknesses. He's carried our sorrows physically, amen? Emotionally, all of these things, all our issues, my Jesus carried that. But then he went out and what? He was scourged, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He's talking about a spiritual healing, okay? The first verse 4 is physical. Verse 5, you go, Ben, we learned that. Yeah, I want to reiterate it again. Why? Because here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that there's a nugget of truth here. Remember last week, the Bible uses three different definitions for sin. The first one is harmatia, missing the mark. The Bible says that we have all missed the mark. Amen? We have. Why is that important? Let me just give you a side note, okay? If we've all missed the mark, why do we think we can judge somebody? Why do we think that we, right, we, 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 we should not? We should know, oh, I've missed that, amen. Our heart should be, I'm reaching out to you because I know the danger of the road you're traveling because I've been there. But anyway, I, I digress. Let's go back to the text. Number one, missing the mark, that's sin. Number two, is trespass, trespass, okay, or transgression. A trespass, you guys know this, right, where you, where you walk into a yard and it says no trespassing, then you step over, you have then now trespassed. You know where the line is, and you go, boom, I'm going to trespass. I'm going to trespass. Now, there are times when you trespass and you go, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize that was a sin. I'm sorry, Lord, it's a transgression, okay? The third thing that they use is iniquity. Everybody say iniquity, because iniquity is what scares me the most, because it's the inward part of the heart. It's the inward part of the heart. It's where you and I have conspired to sin in our heart. We know God's standard. We know God's word. We look to the right. We look to the left. We never look up, and we want to still sin. That's what scares me. That's what's in my heart. Oh, yeah, I've missed the mark. Oh, yeah, Ben, are you a sinner? I'm a sinner. Missed the mark. Are there times that you transgress? Absolutely. I find myself going, oops, sorry, God, I transgressed. But what scares me is when I know and I say I'm going to do it anyway. Anybody with me? Aren't we? That's why grace is so amazing. And so my Jesus, guys, my Jesus in verse 5, check this out. The Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions, okay? What was the wound? The first thing we understand is the cat of nine tails coming across, boom, ripping his flesh out. Now, you need to understand, we cry when we get a paper cut. 
You know, it's like, ah, oh, did you, I got a paper cut. Did you, that was, did, did you, I, I need a Band-Aid. I need a Band-Aid. Put some Neosporin. I got a Band-Aid. I got a paper cut. This is his flesh being ripped from back to front. It's exposing the nerves. It's exposing the muscle. And his body is probably swelling. And there's just he's just red. The blood all over. Okay? So... Isaiah says he was wounded for our transgressions. The crown of thorns, the beating, the scourging, and eventually when he was on the cross, the final stabbing. Okay, he was wounded for that. Then it goes on to say he was bruised for our iniquities. He was bruised for our iniquities. Where does a bruise happen, guys? Outwardly, that's a wound. But a bruise always happens inwardly. Always happens inwardly. And so the Bible just told me, my Jesus, okay, looking to 2019, he saw y'all, and he said, I'll take that bruise. Where was the bruise? He had a bruised heart until it finally broke. And that's how he died. And that's how he died. And you're like, wow. So Isaiah was like, this is, this is crazy. This is crazy. He was wounded outwardly. He was bruised. 700 years, guys, before this even took place, Isaiah says, man, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, he heals us. He heals us. Well, back in our story, guys, the question this morning we should be asking is, why is Pilate so uneasy about Jesus? Why is it once bitten, twice shy? Well, I'll tell you why. Over in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27 and verse 19, we read this. While he was sitting in the judgment seat, that's the bema seat, his wife, this is Pilate's wife, sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Okay? So let's take a moment. Let's let's see who he's talking about. This is this is Pilate's wife. Okay? Uh, according to the Ethiopians, don't know if it's true, but according to the Ethiopians, her name was Abarokla. Abarokla. That's her name. Okay? And she might have been a Jew like like the wife of Felix was, but we do know this. You know that she was either she either loved Jesus or she was a religious person. So Abaroka goes to her husband, Pilate, who's on the Bema seat, and she says, Please, 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 please. And she says this to him. She says, Have nothing to do with this just man. Meaning Jesus, whom she either knew to be so or concluded from a dream that he was one, in her sense is her husband would have had no hand in this condemnation of death, but rather he should do everything he can to release him and save him. That's what she's saying. Have nothing to do with him. Why? She goes, she goes, honey, baby doll. I don't know if she told Pilate that. She said, I suffered a lot of things because of Jesus. I suffered. And we don't know what that is. I had asked my wife, what do you think that suffering was? Was it just anxiety in a dream? Was it emotional? And the Bible doesn't tell us, but I do know this. She's, unha- she's not a happy camper, okay? She's not a happy camper, okay? Now, number one, too, remember, her husband's on thin ice, too, okay? 
he loses, she loses. And wives, she's just going, please, man, just, maybe it was just really simple, a simple thought. Listen, Pilate, if you get deep, if you get knee deep in this, man, we're going to get fired. We're going to be out somewhere. And I really kind of dig the Roman luxuries here. You understand? I've gotten used to the baths. I've gotten used to the wine. Hello. Right? I mean, but, but we know that either way, she's just not happy. Something is definitely, definitely wrong. Well, as the story goes, Jesus is scourged. He's chastised. If you go to Israel today, it's in the Praetorium. I want you to kind of get with me in your mind, okay? Uh, right here, right here is, okay, this would be Gethsemane, okay? Let's say that the pulpit is the Temple Mount, okay? This is Gethsemane. They would have led Jesus in the first two trials over here, guys, over here. This would be Caiaphas' house right here, Okay? If you're looking from the Mount of Olives, it's going to be left to the city. This would be Caiaphas' house. This is where Peter denied Jesus, all right here. First three trials, this would be the pit they put him in. Now, not the same place for Rome, okay? He would have taken him, and he would have walked him across the Temple Mount on the, on the eastern gate. And over here, you see where I am? This is known as the Antonio Fortress, the Antonio Fortress. This is a fortress where, the, where Rome stayed, where the soldiers stayed. Walls are so high, okay, it's, a, it's, this, it's the fortress. The reason why it was built is because if the Jews decided to rebel, they could not get into the Antonio, Antonio Fortress. They, they couldn't. It was, it was built this way. There was one gate coming in, only one. Why was there only one? Because they wanted to protect themselves. It was like a city within a city. Right off to the gate into the Antonio Fortress is something called the Bema Seat. It's where Pilate would come out and he would address the crowd. Do you remember last week? Do you remember last week? If you were here, you remember that the, that the chief priest came all the way up and said, we can't go in because it would defile us that we won't be able to eat the Passover. Do you remember that? If you went inside, there were all kinds of statues that Rome worshipped. All inside the courtyard. I mean, this is huge. So they knew that was, that was not cool. And so they're ready to kill a man, but we can't go inside there. This is why. So they stood out. Now it would have been, it would have been a lot higher. Let's just say the Bema seat would have been about where the, where, where this is here. And he would have looked down on the crowd. This would have been the crowd. This is where Jesus would be. Okay. So they scourged him. Okay. They take him into the praetorium. Now, under the Antonio Fortress is the praetorium where they tied him and they stripped him and they beat him. And now John continues in verse 2 and he says, And the soldiers, why were there soldiers, guys? Because he was in the Antonio Fortress. He was in the praetorium. I've been to Israel twice and... It still, it still comes, you know, I mean, there's, there's so much because you're like, where am I? What am I thinking? And you've got to do more research, more research. And, but the praetorium would have been right there in, in, in this area where they beat Jesus. It's still there today. And the soldiers, right, because they're in Rome. The soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head, John says, and they put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate then went out again and said to him, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you 
that you may know I find no fault in him. Okay, so read it, okay? What's he saying? So Pilate would come out of the gate, only one gate, and he would come, and he would come to the Bema seat area, and he would address the crowd. I'm bringing him out to you, because Jesus is still, he's still inside. He would have brought him out the gate and over to address the crowd. You're like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. He says, behold, guys, I'm bringing him out to you. He says, he's not guilty. He's not guilty. That's the verdict. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to take a look at him, and he wants you to say, this isn't a king. This is not a king. And that's where we pick up our study today. Look at verse 5. So then Jesus, it says, coming out, where? He came out from the praetorium, out of the gate, right? Now he's outside the walls, and he's addressing the crowd. It would be the chief priests and everyone else, okay? that's There's Jesus standing there. Now, it says, then Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said, behold the man. Now you're going, wow. Okay, picture this. Okay, close your eyes for just a moment. Let me see if I can paint this picture. There's Jesus. His body is swollen because, right, 39 lashes, they've ripped everything they possibly could off of his flesh. And instantly, his body is swollen. It's trying to kill itself. It doesn't know what's going on. It is in major shock. They have a robe on him. They have a crown of thorns. He's bleeding. Now, this robe is supposed to be purple, but I bet it was drenched and soaked in the blood of my Jesus. And so Pilate brings him out, and he says, now notice what he says. He says, behold the man. Now, if you're taking note, you can circle that phrase, okay? Because behold the man is actually a sarcastic statement. You go, what is he saying? In other words, what, what Pilate is saying is, look at your, soul, your so-called king now. Look at him. Now, I don't believe Pilate is being sarcastic, but like, ha, look what I did. I've got the power. I think he's trying to appease the crowd. He's like, this ain't a king. If this is a king, his, his subjects would be fighting to get him, to, to rescue him. Look at him. He's a mess. We know that they pulled out his beard. We know that his face was swollen. We know that that's my Jesus. That should be enough. The crowd should have went home, but that wasn't the mission. Look at verse 6. Therefore, when the chief priest and the officer saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. Not guilty. How many times do we got to say this? How many times? Again, not guilty. Now look at verse 7. The Jews answered, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. Look at verse 7, everyone. When it says we have a law, they're talking about the law of Moses. Okay? So we have to chat for just a minute. Our question would be this morning, what crime did Jesus commit that he would be worthy of death? Because if you follow Jesus' life, he healed people, he fed people, he loved on people, he showed grace on people, he healed leprosy. I mean, this was, this is the guy you want to keep. So why would you want to kill this guy? Here's why. Here, here was his, here's his crime. Ready? He claimed to be God. You go, okay, but there are a lot of people to claim to be God. Yes, but in this century, it was considered blasphemy. It was against the law. You go, what law is that? Jot this down. I want you to remember this. Leviticus 24 and 16. 
Leviticus 24 and 16 says this, And whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All congregations shall surely stone him, the stranger as well as he who is born in the land. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. This is where they're going. He claims to be God. He's, he's blaspheming. He needs to die. He needs to die. That's the law. And so when they come to Pilate, they say, they say this. Listen, we have a law, Leviticus 24, 16. And according to our law, he needs to die. Why? Because he made himself to be the son of God. Now, again, this is why they're calling for the death of Jesus, because he, came, he claimed to be God in the flesh. Now, can I just give you two thoughts? As I was studying this, two thoughts came to mind, okay? Number one, think about this. Think about this. How far would a man go to prove his point? And you go, what do you mean? Well, think about it like this. What if Jesus wasn't God? Okay? He's a crazy man out of Galilee coming down, and he thinks, how can I get fame and notoriety? I know. I'll claim to be the Messiah. Okay, and I'll gather a following. I'm the Messiah. How far would a man go to prove his point? Okay? How far would he go to make everyone believe he was? Would he go all the way to the cross? Here's my thought. My thought, now think about this, guys. If Jesus was lying, if he was, if he was lying in any way, if he was a lunatic, let me just say this. The beating alone would have caused him to come clean. I mean, seriously. Oh, listen, I'll push it. I'm crazy enough to try to fool y'all. But the moment they hit me that first time with the bone and the glass and, and the rock, I mean, all of that stuff. Okay, just kidding. I'm not God. Woo, that hurt. I'm just going to go home now. God bless you. How far would a man willing to go? Now, think about this. Let's just say he, I'm going to endure the cross. I want them to believe. I'm going to endure the beating. You've got to add the cross to this because the cross was no joke. So when people come and go, man, my Jesus, you're Jesus. No, no, no. You understand. For Jesus to sit there and take the chastisement that was meant for me and the cross that was meant for me, he either had to be, he had to either be a lunatic, which I don't think he was, he either had to be lying, or he had to be the Lord. He had to be. That's the reasoning. Our job, guys, is to get people to think there's no way any man would go to that great length You see, the cross, remember, the cross wasn't just, hey, boom, a quick death, a quick death. It was excruciating, and it was a long, painful death. First thought, right? The other day, I heard someone on TV say, well, what would you equate the cross to in our day? And they would say, well, take up your electric chair. And I started to think about that, and I thought, yeah, well, the electric chair is an instrument of death, but, an inst- but that would be pretty quick. They turn it on and you'd, you'd, you know, you'd be electrocuted and you die. That's not the cross. You see, we've become civilized even more than the Romans when it comes to death. It's quick. It's painless. Let's, let's just do this. So, so what would we, we would equate the cross today? I don't know, but I do know it's something excruciating and something painful, something humiliating, and it would take hours for you to die. And just when you thought you were dead, you know what they would do, right? They would come and break your legs so that your heart would explode because you couldn't breathe anymore. You couldn't push yourself up. 
That's my thought. How far would you go to prove a point? You go, what else? Number two, I think of mama. You go, what do you mean? Mary's there, guys. Mary could have stopped the whole thing. I mean, seriously, she could have come clean to the chief priest and confess who Jesus' father really was. She could have said, whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. He claims to be God. I'll tell you who his dad is. Please, he's, listen, I'm going to take him home and we're going to put him, we're going to get him some help. She could have done that because that's what mamas would do. Why? Because mamas would actually give their lives for their kids. But this mama can't because it's true. This mama can't because she has to sit there and she has to watch her son be beaten. You see, Mary was visited, visited by an angel and the Holy Spirit came upon her and she was a virgin with a child and Jesus is fully God and fully man. That's why all she could do is watch and cry. All she could do is watch and cry. John chapter 19 verse 8 says, Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid. And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. I, I could imagine. Because, guys, we think that Jesus stood there. Now, in the Passion, we see thorns. No, we're talking about a body that's in shock, a body that's shutting down, okay? And an inability, if you will, to just come, oh, hey, let me just tell you where you're from. Well, let me tell you, I grew up in a little town, Nazareth. It was a great town. We had a 7-Eleven. That's not Jesus. He's sitting there just looking, going, okay, okay, where are you from? But Jesus said, and Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Now Jesus speaks. When Jesus answered, he said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered delivered me to you has the greater sin. So Pilate is afraid. Once bitten, guys, twice shy. He's afraid. And you go, what is he afraid of? Perhaps several things, right? You go, what? Number one, the possibility of violence. If Pilate goes, hey, we, we released Barabbas, but I'm going to release Jesus, I mean, this is, this is crazy. This is an uproar, okay? Why? Probably close to a million people are in Jerusalem for the Passover. I don't know how many are watching this whole thing unfold, but it could get, it could escalate very quickly, right? You know that old saying, well, that escalated fast. I mean, that, that just, boom, this gets, so he's probably going, I got to just, I just got to calm down, calm down. Then he's got his wife going, hey, uh, you, need, you, need to, you need to just nip this, nip it. Okay, don't do anything with just Jesus. And you go, what else? Well, this, I mean, think about this. It, worst case scenario, he, he has loss of favor from Rome because he has the inability to control the situation. So there's a lot that he's afraid of. But Jesus then speaks and says, Pilate, you got it all wrong. You have no power against me unless God had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greatest sin. You guys see that in verse 11? If you want to circle that, it's a strong reference to Caiaphas back in 18 verse 28. He's actually saying Caiaphas has the greater sin for doing this. Three civil trials. I mean, three, three religious trials. They should have said, no, we know who you are. We have, we have the Old Testament. We know that you're Messiah. You're Messiah. Isaiah, we, yeah. 
He says, but, but listen, you're just doing your job. And from what I understood, Pilate, you have declared me not guilty several times. So the one who has, the one who delivered me is the greater sin. Verse 12. But from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Now, say, I believe the Jews know that Pilate's on thin ice with Rome. Why? Because notice what they do. Now they bring in the king. They bring Caesar into the mix. If you release him, you're not a friend of Caesar and you're not a friend of Rome. Oh, oh. See, part of the first civil trial, Mark writes that they had bound Jesus and took him to Pilate. Remember, Pilate, guys, he was in charge of the army. He was in charge of keeping the taxes flowing to Rome. He had the power and life and death over his subjects. He actually appointed the high priest, and he decided cases involving capital punishment. He did not want another report to get to Rome that he had offered Jewish customs, or I'm sorry, that he offended Jewish customs, or he couldn't control the situation. So they add that. So when Pilate heard the saying in verse 13, he brought Jesus out. He sat down at the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha, okay? Now, remember, where is he doing? He hears this. Where's Jesus? Jesus is still in the praetorium. He brings him out of the gate. He's in the judgment seat. It's known as the Bema seat. Everybody say Bema seat. That's the judgment seat, okay? And he says, okay, he brings him out. Now, the one thing we need to understand is it's funny how they use this. This would be on the northern part of the temple in the Antonio Fortress. It's the Bema seat. It's the judgment seat. But listen, here's what we need to grasp. Here's some application. According to the book of Romans, the Bible says you and I, as believers, it says this, we will all stand before God's judgment seat, God's bema seat. Why? Each one to give an account for himself to God. That's the first thing, Romans chapter 14, 10 to 12. But in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, the Bible tells us we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ, so that each one will receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In the context, what's he talking about? He's talking about us believers. So here's what you need to understand. It's one thing to give your life to Jesus. That's salvation. And we go, amen, praise God. But you need to understand that that at that point, you need to live your life for Jesus. Because you're going to stand in the judgment seat, in the bema seat, and he's going to say, okay, what did you do? I, I gave you gifts. I gave you talents. I, well, what is it? Every one of us. He's going to check the motives of our heart, guys. Why did we do what we do? Why did we do this? What are the motives? He says he's going he's gonna, to, whether good or bad, Hey, man, hey, you, 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 you pastored a church because you wanted people to pat you on the back. Is that really what you wanted? No, Lord, I'm sorry. But that was the motive of your heart. No, the motive of my heart needs to be pure, God. It needs to be, I'm going to stand. You see, at the judgment seat, guys, of Christ, believers are rewarded based on how faithfully they served Christ. How faithfully. Some of the things you go, what, what are we going to be judged on? Some of the things we might be judged on and how well we obeyed the Great Commission, how well we actually went out and obeyed that. Or how about this, how victorious we really were over sin. 
He said, man, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. Or how well we controlled our tongues. You see, we learned about that yesterday in the book of James. And I said, man, this little thing, whoo, it could either speak life. And, and, and here's what James tells us, okay? Here's just a side teaching. James tells us that our mouth, we could praise him and curse people at the same time. And I don't know how you do that. Oh, I do. It's what you put in your heart. It's what you put in your heart. Verse 14 says, now, it was preparation day of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Notice what they say. And the chief priests, chief priests, guys, answered, we have no king but Caesar. This is a red flag. This is something you need to mark in your Bible. You go, why? Because I want to close with this. I'm going to close with this, okay? In an effort, in their effort to kill Jesus, they were willing to deny loyalty to God by siding with Rome. You go, what do you mean? For the chief priest to proclaim this statement would also be taken as a blasphemous denial. They only had one king. It was God. But for them to tell Pilate, we have only one king, and that's Caesar. Woo! Wow. Wow. Guys, they would deny that God was king in order over the nation of Israel. Let me just say this, guys. We just have a a couple more minutes. Let me just say this. The enemy of your soul, the enemy of your soul will go to great lengths and even... I mean, I, I, I don't even know. I, I don't even know. These are the chief priests. These are the guys. Listen, these are the ones that were connecting Israel to God. And now they're actually denying God in a sense and saying that we only have one king and that's Caesar. And I started thinking about that. The enemy of our soul will go to great lengths to try to stumble us up, don't you think? Well, the trial's over. All six are done. And Jesus is on his way to Golgotha. And in verse 16, it says, Then they delivered him to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. Guys, in two weeks, we'll look at the path that Jesus followed as he would carry his cross to Calvary. As Jesus would have come out Okay, the Antonio Fortress on the gate, right, and the Bema seat. Simon would have been walking up, and they would have said, Simon, you need to carry this cross, the cross beam. And they're gonna, we're, we're going to follow the route in two weeks, known as the Via Della Rosa. We're going to follow the way of suffering. We're going to follow Jesus to Calvary. on his way to die for our sins. Now, let me give you this last thought. You ready? Last thought. In our story, Pilate comes out and he says, Behold the man! 
course, he meant it sarcastically. But what about us today? Have you made Jesus King and Lord and Savior over your life? You know, it's one thing to go, man, I got saved. It's one thing I prayed a prayer. But if Pilate says, behold the man, think about this. He's saying, look at your so-called king. Now, here's what I see. I don't know what you see. But for the crowd there, they thought, oh, look, that's not our king. But this is what I see. I see a great exchange. I see a great exchange. And here's what my heart leaps out and says, that should have been me. That should have been you. And Jesus loved us so much, so much. He said, I'm going to exchange this for you. The Bible says the soul that sins shall die. And Jesus goes, I'll take that penalty. I'll take it. Pilate said, behold the man sarcastically. Behold, look at your king now. But you know what I say? Look at my king now. And if you ever want a picture of love, read the Bible and see exactly what Jesus standing there on his way. Now remember, he's got a crown of thorns dug deep in his head. He's bleeding. His eyes are swollen. His beard is pulled out. His face is swollen. You know that the Bible tells us, guys, the Bible tells us that when he was on the cross that he was unrecognizable. He was beaten so bad. But there he is in a, in, a, in a robe. I don't think it's purple anymore, if we can be realistic. And that's a picture of real love. Because he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I would become righteous. So when you say, I surrender my life to Jesus, that's what it means, guys. That's what it means. It means there's not a part of me I'm holding back or, Lord, you know what? You're, you're holding out on me. It's going, no. Was the cross. Was the cross. He did it for me. He did it for me. Lord, we thank you today for John chapter 19. We thank you for your great love and we thank you, God. It touched our hearts, Lord. And the the next part, Lord, we'll follow you to the cross. Thank you for the cross. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. 
May God richly bless you.